0: Y'all, I was like, man, there's some high faith in this house because everybody had to fight to get here, right? So, uh, well, we came to meet Jesus and be with His Word and worship Him. So, so glad you're here. Uh, We've been, last week we started a new series on 2 Corinthians. So, if you have, uh, how about those new pew Bibles, huh? If you guys don't have a Bible at your own home, feel free to just take one home with you. All right, but um, so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 today, and uh, yeah, so let me just pray for us, and we'll dive in. Lord God, thank you so much for your living, active, mighty word, God, that we can come and hear from you, Lord, not just your written words, but God, your your rhema spirit words spoken to our heart and our minds today, and Father, I pray that you would just... Uh, take us where we're at, speak your words of life, maybe words of encouragement or maybe even correction, Father, even this morning, Lord, we thank you for being a good father. And that, God, you're you're fathering us in this generation as you fathered numerous other generations before us. And, God, we're just looking to you. We're fixing our thoughts and attention and our eyes are on you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, We kind of ended this message about Paul talking about how without Christ, there seems to be like a veil over people's, not not eyesight, but just a veil over their hearts and minds in the sense of being able to perceive what the gospel kind of gloriously declares. And so uh, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 3, it says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Hopefully, you've been feeling a little freedom in this house today. And all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who's the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. This is God's intention and purpose for all of our lives, that He takes us, that He shepherds us, that He trains and equips and molds and shapes and moves us into being the image of Jesus around us. And so, uh, so, we talked about a veil over the human heart. There's also, so there's numerous veils, veils of unbelief, veils of pride. There's a lot of things that can kind of blind us to spiritually perceive things. And uh, one I didn't mention last week, but I will today, just because of the text that we have today, is uh, a veil of familiarity. Sometimes uh, when we hear certain scriptures or we hear certain concepts, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got that. Yeah, I know that. All right, let's move on. Let's move out of the shallow end. Let's move into the deep end. But what we have before us today is maybe a little familiar scripture that you've heard before. But I pray that the Lord would remove any familiarity that we he, that we have with Him so that we could actually see the gloriousness of this truth that we're going to talk about today. So to kind of set up today, um, how many of you here are colorblind if you want to get this uh, vulnerable on a Sunday, but hey, how many colorblind? So 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 so. All right, my father, my dad was green colorblind. That was kind of fun growing up. Um, him never seeing the green light, he could just say it's not lit. It's not lit up, so I know it's on. And I'm like, Dad, this is nerve wracking. Anyway, um, but most commonly, a colorblind person struggles to differentiate mainly between reds and greens. Um, What's life like for the colorblind? It's a Good question. They they go through life without seeing all the colors that we see. Most times it it doesn't even affect them, at least in the ways that we're aware, that they're aware of. Uh, They look at their child's crayon drawing and they don't know what they're missing. They may stare at a sunset and not see the beautiful oranges and pinks and purples in the sunset. And so here's a little colorblind test. (laughs) Remember these tests in your old doctor's office back in the day? How many can see all the numbers on there? Hey, sweet. How many of you struggle with one or two on them? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, so it's a little more different than uh, blue-green. There are all of them on there. Anyway, right? You're looking at the circle, and you can't see anything. It's so frustrating. Ever seen one of those videos where a colorblind person receives the special pair of glasses that they can kind of see color for the first time? There's a company uh, called Enchroma, and uh, they worked with Valspar paints to develop glasses that allow colored people to see color. And the one I saw, a guy looked at a sunset, and he says, so that is what you guys see every day? He had never understood the glory of a sunset. And think about what that means to be colorblind. You, you, you function fine. You might know that you're colorblind, but you really don't know what that means. And you don't know what you're missing because you've never seen it. You look at a flower garden and you can see different shapes and some difference in hues, but you have no idea that you're missing these eye-popping colors in the garden. You're missing something that is obvious to everyone around you, that's spiritual blindness. That's spiritual blindness. You and I can function in life, and because we can, we don't really notice our blindness to our true condition. We go through life ignorant of the depths and the extent of our rebellion towards God. We just can't see it. And so Paul says this in Second Corinthians 4.3. three, says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. All right, so here's a good question. Who blinds the minds of men and women? Is it God? No, it's the enemy. It's the God of this world. At times, God physically blinds people that we see in the Scriptures, but like our example, this is spiritual blindness that we're talking about. Eye blindness blindness versus heart blindness. So who's the God of this world? Satan, the accuser, the deceiver, these are titles given to this fallen angel entity that we call Satan. Other people call him Lucifer. That's not necessarily a biblical word. Uh, But anyway, we have an enemy. And the way our enemy keeps people from seeing the light of the gospel is not so much by preventing the preaching of the gospel. Where was I? but by preventing spiritual perception. Preventing spiritual perception. Think about the the parable of the soils that Jesus shared. It says, the seed went out and that first soil fell on rocky ground and the enemy comes and takes it away. So what does that mean? They may have the facts, they may have uh, comprehended the concepts, but there's just no light So what does it mean? It means uh, that blinded persons consider the facts of the gospel but see no compelling beauty to it, no treasure, nothing supremely wonderful or precious about the good news of the gospel. They see facts. They see concepts. They may even agree that the historical facts are true. Surely Satan does. But they don't have a true sense of God's divine excellency of the things revealed in the Word of God and a conviction of the truth. And if they come to God, it is for their own needs rather than seeking God for Himself as the ultimate treasure of mankind. He's the most precious treasure that you could ever have on planet Earth. And the enemy uses everything else to draw our attention and affection away from the very one that made us, the very one that can heal us and make us whole the very one that can shepherd and guide and lead us. There's an interesting story of Sir Isaac Newton. Certainly no one could say he wasn't an intellectual or that he wasn't a man of remarkable ability. One day someone said this to him, Sir Isaac, I don't understand. I seem to be able to believe the Bible. You seem, excuse me, I'll restart that. Sir Isaac, I do not understand. You seem to be able to believe the Bible like a little child. I have tried, but I cannot. So many of its statements mean nothing to me. I cannot believe. I cannot understand. And this was Sir Isaac Newton's reply. He says, sometimes I come into my study and in my absent-mindedness, I attempt to light my candle when the extinguisher is over it. And I fumble around trying to light it and cannot. But when I remove the extinguisher, then I'm able to light the candle. I'm afraid that the extinguisher in your case is your love for your sins. It is deliberate unbelief that's in you. Turn to God in repentance. Be prepared to let the Spirit of God reveal His truth to you, and it'll be His joy to show you the glory of the grace of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. Amazing. Sir Isaac Newton was not just a great scientist, but also a great preacher. Why don't people believe because Satan has blinded the eyes lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. Man, what a quote from Isaac Newton. I was like, I read that. I was like, man, that's Newton? Come on, brother. Anyway, that veil had been lifted off of Paul's eyes and he sees and knows the light of the gospel. He talks about this, the gospel of. "...of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God." The gospel, that word, is euangelion. Euangelion is the good news of the gospel. It's a a convicting definition because as these words were said, this gospel of the glory of Christ, it would have stirred a certain image in his listeners' imagination. Because Euangelion was usually a designated person, pagan or Roman, that would radiantly announce good news of an earthly victory in battle. And he would be sent from usually the general after the war was over or after the battle, the skirmish, whatever was done, he would send the Euangelion, the the messenger with the good news, and he would send it back to the hometown. All right, you take off. Because we want our news of our victory to precede us coming back home. And that's what this euangelion, this, this, this gospel, this good news that Paul is saying. Man, this good news is going out. It wasn't just an earthly victory. It was the ultimate supernatural victory in the heavenly realms. How much more radiant should we be who are the bearers of the good news of Christ? Eternal triumph over sin, Satan, and death. And it's a glorious gospel. It's glorious because it reveals Jesus Christ. Tragically, that's what people don't want to see. We read in John 3.17, says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. But they love that darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. Sometimes when that light shines, you ever have that? I had that in college. There was, I was kind of running from the Lord first year. And there was another guy in my fraternity that just saw the light and the glory of the gospel and gave his life to the Lord. And, man, there were certain times where I was just like, yeah, man, I like, I like the news. And then other times I'm like, dude, do not get around me. I don't even want to hear it. You're obnoxious. But there was something in him. that's was like, man, what I have experienced you haven't. You ever have uh, someone who has an interesting new soda you're like, oh, what's that taste like? And you could you could get be like, oh well, you know, it kind of can taste like this, or maybe compare it to another soda, or maybe a combination of three different sodas. And you can verbally explain, but until that person brings that cup up to their lips and tastes it for themselves, there's no way that you can truly experience that brand new soda in the same way with the gospel. So it needs to be experienced, not just known about. However, the message of the glorious gospel remains the same, that Christ has forever broken Satan's power, hold, and authority over mankind, and that those who surrender their lives to Christ have been redeemed, bought back from slavery. That's what that word's root means, to be redeemed. It means you've been purchased out of slavery and brought into freedom. That's what Jesus came to do. Didn't come to condemn it, but to save it. The second time he comes back, a little bit different objective. But he goes on. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore, we have as our aim and ambition, whether home or absent, meaning with the Lord, that no matter where we're at, we're going to be pleasing to the Lord. This gospel has captured his heart so much that it's like, man... Everything out in the world that I could out, be out doing and all my ambition and all this stuff, man, it's nothing compared to the glory of Christ. And our aim and ambition is to please Him no matter what. And he goes on, verse 14. We're going to kind of slow down with these little three following verses For we're going to really just kind of camp out here for a sec. 1 Corinthians 5, 14. Paul says, whatever we do, it's because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. The implication of this statement, He died for everyone, you can imagine... that would have grabbed Paul's heart a little bit extra because as a Jew, there was an understanding that you are the blessed people of God, but then when he got a picture of the gospel, that it wasn't just for Jews, that it was actually for the Gentiles, actually the whole world, that would have been quite overwhelming. That probably would have completely altered his understanding of who God is, who he is, and who people are got a hold of his heart it permanently changed his feeling about every person the fact that every person he met was the object of God's eternal love and was one through whom Christ died defined the nature of his ministry he saw everyone made in the image of God and that there was that there that because of that there was this the divineness no matter who they are And that's why Paul's evangelism never exploited or manipulated people. Because to exploit or manipulate people, you cannot see them with the love of Christ. The love of Christ shuts that door completely off. Agape love is the greatest virtue of the Christian life. And that type of love was rare in the pagan Greek culture, Greek and Roman culture. That's because the traits agape portrays, which is unselfishness. Self giving, willful devotion, concern for the welfare of others were mostly disdained by ancient Greek and Roman culture as signs of weakness. However, the New Testament declares that Christ's agape love to be the character trait around which all others revolve. God's unconditional, faithful love to his people so that they may not live. No longer for themselves, he says. When this truth captures your heart, it's very hard to continue just living your own life. It's captured his heart. It's maybe captured our hearts. The egocentric life becomes the Christocentric life. It's not my will, it's his will. It's not my thoughts, it's his thoughts. It's not my feelings. That one's a little rough. No, I won't. That's that's a little bit loose of a line to draw. But anyway, here we go. And that's what Paul's saying in Galatians 2. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up on behalf of me. Paul's seeing that this is what Christ has done. Oh, my goodness. And he goes on, verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Mm. Come on, people of God. That's a great verse, especially when a day and age, when those immutable qualities of someone's skin or background or worldview uh, can tend to, we begin seeing them according to the flesh. And that's the temptation. But not for God's people. Not for God's people. We cannot see people according to the flesh. This, If you wanted like the best racial reconciliation verse in the Bible, I'd say this one's probably it. That as God's people, we should not, cannot see people according to the flesh. That we have to see people, as Paul's now getting. That Jesus came to save and redeem everyone, that everyone is made in the image of God he goes on, once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, as though he was merely a human being, how differently I think about him now. That's a new little New Living Translation on that one. But anyway, it's, it flows, right? Once I mistakenly thought maybe he was just a human being, maybe he was just a nice little prophet, maybe he was, uh, you know, things were kind of hard for the Jews when the Romans were kind of, you know, squelching their efforts, and so there was a lot of revolutionaries kind of around that time, and but no, he's like, no, 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 I used to think that way, but not anymore because I've seen the glory of Christ. Then he goes on and says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Therefore, as anyone's in Christ, and this is from what I brought up about familiarity, is that new creation, it's one of the greatest themes in all the New Testament. And it's one that many Christians really don't fully understand. And consequently, they don't appreciate all that God has made available to them. He says, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation, behold, this even just the sentence structure of this is attention-grabbing. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, a new creation. Paul says this again, this new creation theme Was on his mind often. He brings it up again in Galatians 6. He says, it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether you've been transformed into what? A new creation. For the Jews, circumcision was a big issue. Okay, so it's very controversial. But for us, in our kind of 21st century, you might say, it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in church or not, what counts is new creation. Right? Doesn't matter. What counts is that you know that you've been made alive in God and that you know that new creation isn't just a thing you don't know about. Like the Lord did it up in heaven and then maybe you'll die and then find out one day that, oh, He gave me new life. No, don't know that new life God wants you to experience now, today. Point being, religious ceremonies won't do this, won't do the act of new creation. The question is, have you become a new creation in Christ? Creation is something only God can do. Man can manufacture. Man can repair. Man can improve. Only God can create. But the results of sin in our lives are such that it cannot be repaired. It cannot be improved. There's nothing in our own human effort that can repair the breach There's only one thing that will accomplish what's needed, and it's a creative act of God, a miracle. New creation indicates that there's been a previous creation making the human race like making the human race in the first place, and there's some interesting parallels. So if you could kind of bear with me, I want you to kind of catch this. In Genesis 1 and 2, the spirit of life from God entered, says that he took dust From the ground, and uh, just from the text, it kind of seems like he's working with some clay, and he forms man, and then he says he breathed into him life. So that he had eyes that could see, nostrils that could smell, a heart that could beat, one human eye in an instant with more than three million working parts, for those colorblind, a couple less. But, you know, anyway, the more doctors learn, the more complicated life becomes. And that was, what was the source of all that? Where did it begin? It began with the Spirit of God breathing into that clay. But yet through Adam's rebellion and sin, he was cut off from the life of God. And that's why Ephesians 2.1, it's not up there, but it says, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead. We're spiritually dead. That part of you and I that communes with God was cut off. It was made dead. The root of human problems is that we all have sinned. You think, man, what are the sources of the problem? Man, it's not individuals that you think are bringing. No, it's just humanity's nature state, natural state. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as rest of the Gentiles walk, or the rest of the nations, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, cut off from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And there's a lot of words there, when you really think about... This outflow of the sinful nature, there's other parts where it says, man, God sometimes gives people over to their natural state so that they maybe come to the end of themselves and they can find their way coming back, just like the prodigal son. We were all once in this condition, and this is true of everyone outside of Christ, among whom you also conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. But it says compare the first creation of the garden with what Jesus did with his disciples after he resurrected. We're going to go to John 20. John 20, Jesus, he's, a, he's been crucified, he's resurrected. now. Now he appears to his disciples. And he says this in verse 20, he says, As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just like Genesis. Jesus commissioned them to be his messengers, to go out into the world, to be his UN galleons of his new kingdom. And then he did something. And when He said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now think back to that first creation. Arguably the very same person. Jesus, all things were made by Him and through Him and made for Him. So arguably, the very same person, the second person of the Godhead that knelt beside that body of clay and breathed it, the breath of life and man came alive, now here, He is as the same person doing the same thing with His disciples. He's been through death and hell and the grave, and He's come out totally victorious, and He stands in front of the disciples, and He breathes into them, and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Can you see the parallel of Genesis? God breathing divine life. And then in the garden, or not in the garden, on the upper room, after he resurrected, he breathed on them a life that had conquered sin, death, hell, the grave, the Satan. It was totally victorious life, a life that could not be defeated, a life that could not be destroyed, a life that nothing Satan could ever do could ever affect. And that's new creation. Romans 8, 11 says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What? Yeah, that's true. Sometimes we might not like really absorb that. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. When you come to him, that's what he breathes in you to make you alive and to transform you and to make you into a new creature. The old is past, the new has come. 1 John 5, 4, John says this about this indestructible life. That Jesus gives His people. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. your faith, your faith in Christ overcomes the world. John's saying, you understand that when we receive this divine life from the resurrected Christ, it's undefeatable. There's nothing in the universe that can defeat us because it's the life that defeated Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. If you're a born-again believer, realize that with that new creation transformed spirit, that God's people can turn the world upside down. God's people are undefeatable. And that's what the enemy hates, because they're once in the enemy's camp, he can't get them back. It's God's divine life. It's His eternal life. It's incorruptible life. It's undefeatable life. There's a story about St. Augustine. He was a well-known theologian, discipled by a guy named Bishop Ambrose. (laughs) Just thought I'd embarrass him this morning. Anyway, um, but St. Augustine, in his younger years, he had indulged quite a bit in great sins. And after his conversion, he met a woman who had been the sharer of his wicked exploits. She had approached him winningly and said to him Augustine but he ran away from her with all his speed she called after him Augustine it is I he turned around and said but it is not I the old Augustine is dead and I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus while he's running away <laughs> thought that was a funny story anyway no matter what they've been before whether moral or immoral rather whether rebels Or speculative believers, whether amiable or debased, sensual and polluted, yet if they become Christ followers, they can all experience a creative miracle by God Himself. We're not reformed. We're not rehabilitated. We are not re-educated. We're new creations. Living in a dynamic union with God. The new birth is not turning over a new leaf but it's the inception and reception of new life from God. It's no more no mere reformation but a radical transformation. God takes up one who was shaped in iniquity and conceived in sin and conforms them to the image of his son. God sees as an operative of the enemy and he makes him a member of his holy family. God humbles the proud and he makes them join heirs with Christ. By his irresistible power, God transforms the sinner into a saint, an enemy into his friend, an instrument of the devil to be his beloved child. And that's why Paul says, man, we can't see people according to the flesh, because once we do We'll start saying, no, God can't. God can't, won't be able to heal that person. No, 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 God can't heal that ideology. Oh, no, 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 God can't. We'll start kind of shutting God down. No, as God's people, we see people in the, as the image of Christ. We don't see them according to the flesh, but we know that this is what God does. He takes wicked, dark, broken people like you and I and makes them whole. New creation, old things have passed away. That word passed away, it's kind of nerdy, but here it's an aorist tense, an indicative mood, which is kind of the mood of reality, which signals this passing away as an actual real historical event through the eyes of God. This is spiritual death and resurrection. And that's why we get baptized, to signify what's happened on the inside. I died and I'm now alive in Christ. When did this occur in your life story? I would say it's the instant you confessed Jesus as Lord and made Him and received Him as His Savior. At that glorious, miraculous moment in eternity, the old you ceased to exist. And that's why God says, you're a new creation. There's nothing like this ever been on earth before. You filled with the Spirit of God. It's a whole different life than your previous one. John Wesley said this, he has new life, new senses, new faculties, new affections, new appetites, new ideas and perceptions. The whole tenor of action and conversation is new. And he lives, as it were, in a new world. God, men, the whole creation, heaven and earth and all therein appear in a new light. The best way to disengage an impure desire and our hearts is to engage a pure one. So instead of feeding your flesh or feeding your affections, it's turning to God, knowing that as I turn to Him and His ways and His word, it's actually going to free me. It's going to liberate me. I'm going to feel much less lightened by the loads that the world puts on my shoulders. And then that if those affections become holy, become, I don't want to do the the fleshly affection. I'd rather do the affection that... the thing of what I'm made to do, the purpose and calling by which God gave you. Those who are in Him already, God wants to remind you again of the creative miracle of being a new creation in Him, that He would take any blinders off of you to see who you really are in Christ, biblically, not just through your pride and ambition of like, oh, God sees me this way. I don't know. And it's his unconditional love that controls us. That God, may we recognize that you have made your disciples, whichever generation you've raised them up in, to be your Gileons in our generation. That if you are a new creation, you have been uh, authorized by the Father himself to do business on behalf of the Father. That's why the Holy Spirit goes with you, to make you whole and clean, God, grant us discernment and boldness to be the ones that declare through our life and word that you've come to seek and save those who are lost and need true life. But for those of you who are not in Christ and you feel like, man, I I feel like I have not experienced that new creation before in my life. Well, my question is, what are you waiting for? You're waiting for kind of all the stars to align, for all the feelings to be right, for all the people to kind of do X, Y, and Z, to kind of line it up so that you can. that will never happen. It'll never fully line up. The enemy is always trying to get you, to distract you, to feed you lies. But if you're saying, man, I've never experienced that new creation, but I want to. God wants to receive you today. God wants to bring you and adopt you into His family today. Not when you die, but for that you to know Christ today. That's what His message is for you. But you have come broken and sinful, and as rebellious as you are, knowing that without Christ, you can never know God the Father. And so that's what, in my life, and I think a lot of us here, it's, We get to this place that we've been pursuing our own life, been pursuing our own thing, been just trying to kind of live the best life possible, trying to be the most happy as possible. And then when you realize that, man, all those are cul-de-sacs, are dead ends, they they promised one thing but delivered another, and I've been down those roads so much and and found those cul-de-sacs so many times that we come and we bow. And we say, God, we are so rebellious and sinful and prideful. But God, because of that, Lord, that's why you came to rescue us from our sin, from our lusts, from our uh, desires that aren't even uh, made for us. God, we're made for you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your new creation. Thank you that Jesus came to be able to give new creation to humanity. Whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, rich, poor, white, black, brown, yellow. Father, no matter who we are, God, your gospel, your good news of the glory of Christ is for all. And the God that as Paul said, that you died for everyone so that those who come to you can experience your life. Father, may we be ones that come to you. Lord, not just as a one-time, hey, I am right with God, but God, as just a reliance on your Holy Spirit, day in, day out. God, when we wake up in the morning, that God, that we would just sing praises to you. As we sang this morning, God, that every day, God we're going to wake up and praise your holy name. God it's God it's it's God's joy that gives you strength every morning. God's joy for the day. Cuz he's sending you out as his UN galleons, as his messengers, as his ambassadors to share the good news through your words and through your life. God, I pray that if there's anyone anyone here, God they 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 woke up early, they got Dressed warm. They heated their car up. Lord, they got all the way here. But God, hearing this, they know that ah, I may not be new creation. So, Father, if there's anyone here, Father, I pray that right now, this could be just a beautiful moment between them and you. We'd say, Father, we just come before you. God, we give you our pride. We give you our rebellion. We give you our lusts, our desires. Our hopes for the future, all of our mistakes and our wins, all that we are, and we hand it over to you. You are our rightful king. You are our rightful leader. You are our rightful father. And we're your children. And God, I surrender my whole life to you from this day forward. Lord, teach me and train me to be your son, your daughter in this generation. And God, I'm not looking back. I'm not going to look back into my old life Lord, I'm going to look forward to the new life that you have for me. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Lord God, and just I just want to pray a prayer of blessing. Lord, I just uh, thank you, God, for the faith in this room. Lord, the faith that you've spent decades cultivating. Lord, stewarding and growing and nurturing. Father, I thank you for that new creation work in our life. And Lord, I just pause and we just pause and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. We're so grateful for the victories that you've given us. Lord, we're so thankful for the healing that you've brought into our hearts. God, we're so thankful for the people that you've surrounded us by. God, we're so grateful for the moment that we get to live, as stressful as it may be. God, we know that we've been made for such a time as this. God, that you've you've made us, you've shepherded us, you've shored us up to be your people, that shines the light of the gospel. Lord, I pray that this year you would teach and train us how to shine the light of the gospel like we never have before in our own individual life, through our families, God, through our spiritual family, through our life groups. Father, I pray that, Lord, the life of God would be poured so much into us that all people see and experience is you. Thank you, God, for the mighty work that you've done in all of our hearts. May your work continue to grow, continue to be matured. Lord God, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.